0: going over here. We've got a new series today uh, called Fantastic Fruit and Where to Find It. It's springtime. So I thought I would talk about the fruit of the Spirit a little bit, but in doing that, you really have to look at the whole book of Galatians. Yes, I know there is a movie, Fantastic Beasts and something or other playing. That's where I got the title from. Yes, I have plagiarized it uh, and trying to redeem it a little bit here. So fantastic fruit and where to find it. So we're going to work our way to uh, to that famous, famous passage in the book of Galatians. Uh, we all want the fruit of the Spirit. This is a passage that's very, very well known, uh, in church circles at least. And we all want the fantastic fruit don't we? I mean, that, that looks really, really good. What is that on the screen? That's a um, pomegranate. Yes, delicious. And uh, boy, we should have had some pomegranates this morning. But uh, we want to talk about that for the next few weeks. And, um, I, but I thought I would get you involved a little bit today. Uh, we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and this, this very uh, famous passage, can you tell me some of the fruit of the Spirit, if you know it by heart? Love, peace, joy, self-control, patience, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering. That's patience. That's the old way of saying patience. We don't like saying it that way meekness, uh, gentleness. That's an old way of saying it, yeah. So, here it is on the screen, right? Love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, this is a famous, famous passage, and we how many of you, you, you want these traits or you already have them and you're good to go? If you have all of these traits, I would humbly sit down and let you come and talk, because. I need more of all of these traits, probably you do too, if you're being honest. And if you're not being honest and you're, you're married uh, or you're in a significant relationship with somebody, they're probably going to tell you, you need these traits more <laughs> in your life, right? We all want this, and this is the, this is the goal. And, you know, we look at this passage uh, in, in the book of Galatians, in the New Testament, and we you know we we do a message on love and a message on joy and a message on peace and we kind of isolate each of the characteristics as if they're as if they can be grown separately somehow you know as if they're not all part of the same thing and if there's one thing that the author wants to draw on well it's the natural analogy of natural fruit you don't grow one berry at a time, do you? You grow a, a crop. You grow a harvest like you see on the screen there. Um, and it, the passage is found in the book of Galatians, and it's in chapter 5. I'm just going to read a small, a small chunk to you. And it starts this way from verse 16. So I say... The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. These are a bit old, these words. Idolatry and witchcraft. We have to update these words today in the 21st century, don't we? Uh, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, wow, that's quite a word, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's the passage we like, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. We can stop there. Now, while we could take the passage and just sit there and do, you know, characteristic by characteristic, I want to I enlarge your view of this through th- this series that we're doing. It starts with, so I say. Well, who says? And why does he say so? What is all of the backdrop to what he says in this really, really great passage? Where does it all come from? And that's the problem with the fruit of the Spirit is that we want the fruit of the Spirit instantaneously. Push the button and you get the fruit of the Spirit. Just tell me what I need to do, God. Just give me the formula and I get the fruit, but it's fast. And the characteristics will just kind of magically come upon me, and I'll have more love and joy and peace and so on. Just give me the formula, and I'll do it. And this is really not how you grow fruit. How do you grow fruit, just natural fruit, those of you who have ever planted fruit? You plant seed, okay? You water it. You give it some sunlight, you fertilize it? What do you, do you have to do anything with the ground? You have to till the ground? You have to put, oh, compost. Any others of you who have planted it and it worked? Fruit, you got fruit. What's that? Natural pesticides. Wow, I don't know if they had that in the first century. Get the weeds out. Wow, there's a, quite a process. Protect them from squirrels. Quite a process to growing fruit, isn't there? So when you look at fruit in the natural world, what do you have? You have a very intentional and unfortunately time-consuming process, right? How long did it take you, those of you who planted fruit, you grew fruit, you ate the fruit? How long did it take? couple of years. Anybody else? We're quicker? I'm looking for a couple of days. I don't need a couple of years. I need it in a couple of days. Vending machine. <laughs> Grocery store. More expensive. It takes time, doesn't it? You, can you rush it? Can you rush the process? Some are perennial. What's perennial mean? They come up every year. You mean I have to wait a year? Oh, I don't, I don't want to wait. I need the fruit now. Can, do any of you have a solution that can give me fruit in like 48 hours? Pray. So I need a miracle, you're saying, in order to get fruit in 48 hours. Oh boy. And that's just natural fruit. Do mm. so you see the point? So when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit yee, he could be alluding to a process. There's a little bit of echo or something I'm hearing. I don't know if it's uh, reverberating on the walls or you have an effect. Okay. There's a little bit of a process. You could probably turn the monitor down. It might help just a touch. And thank you again. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and developing the fruit of the Spirit, what would be that process then? If it takes a while Is there a process that leads to spiritual development and to growth? And to do that, you've got to answer a few questions. First and foremost, uh, what's a Galatian? (laughs) Those of you who might be new to the Bible, you say, Galatians. Uh, Sorry, but uh, I don't really know what that is. Do any of you know what a Galatian is? Somebody who drinks milk. No, that's not a Galatian. It's a place, yeah. What's the name of the place? Galatia. Yeah, it was a a place. And the the writer is Paul, and he's writing a letter. In this case, uh, we see to actually a group of churches in a place called Galatia. Do any of you know where Galatia was and where it is on a map today? It's Turkey, yeah. Central Turkey would be Galatia. They don't call it Galatia anymore. And the name Galatia comes from the Gauls who, who uh, took it over at one point. So, Paul is writing a letter to a group of churches, at least that's what he says in the introduction to the letter. Now, the problem with just about everything that we read in the New Testament in terms of these letters, most of them written by Paul, is we have to figure out, well, why did he write it? What's he talking to them about? What is, we call this, the occasion of the letter? And this is really, really important for you whenever you read anything in the New Testament because we are not there. It's 2,000 years ago. It's the first century. Uh, Most agree that this is the first of Paul's letter. Many would place it in the year forty nine when he wrote it. And they do that from something in the book of Acts, a particular leader, politician who was in power at the time when Paul arrives at a certain place. It's complicated, but they can date it, many say, to to, uh, the year 49. And he's writing to this group of churches. Good. But what is the occasion? And this is the trouble. We have to try and figure that out. It's kind of like being on a phone call, You're on a phone call with somebody, and there's somebody next to you, and uh, the somebody next to you has to figure out what the person on the other side is saying. All they hear is one side of the conversation. So you're in the house, and maybe your, your child or family member is on a phone call with somebody. You're right next to them, and you're trying to figure out who's on the other end of the line, and what are they talking about? Well. Let's hear what this person says, and I can try and figure it out. And this is exactly what we do when we approach the New Testament, when we look at these letters. We're on on one side of the phone call, and we don't know what the other side was about. It's 2,000 years ago, and so what we have to do is read the letter and try and look for something that tips us off, that gives us clues as to what is going on in, in Galatia, In central Turkey, you say, well, why do I care? It's 2,000 years ago. Like, of what relevance is this to me? Well, when you find out the content of what Paul is writing, it may be extremely relevant to you. And the nice thing that we have about Galatia is that it's mentioned in other places in the Bible, especially the book of Acts. And we can see these cities in the book of Acts where Paul visited. He actually visited some of these cities three times at least on uh, his so-called three missionary journeys. Paul traveled thousands of miles without technology that was modern. So horseback, ship, thousands and thousands of miles, planting churches, spreading the news about Jesus. This is what his life was like after the change in his life, which you're going to see in Galatians chapter 1. So Paul is trying to address these churches that he planted in this province of Galatia, talking about an issue. There's something up in these churches, and it's necessitated that Paul write them a letter. It's a short letter. But it's a really powerful letter and one that's quite relevant for today. So here's what was at stake back in their time. When you read through the letter, you will see this. We're just going to look at chapter 1 today. But this was the question of the day, and you will see it even as you read the book of Acts. This was the biggest controversy In the book of Acts, in the Bible's New Testament. For that matter, it was the biggest controversy of the New Testament. And it may seem a little boring to you at first, but it has real relevance to your life. Here's the controversy. How was a person who was not Jewish saved? So here you have this message about Jesus and about salvation. This comes from within the Jewish community. Jesus is Jewish. All these people, all these early believers are Jewish. And then you start to see non-Jewish people believing this stuff. You see it in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. You start to see the non-Jewish world is starting to believe in Jesus. Starting to believe in his uh, deity and in his resurrection from the dead. And this causes a huge, huge controversy. And so here's what one group said to these non-Jewish people who were coming to Christ. They said to them, no, not so fast. Not Jesus, but Jesus and you must follow the law of Moses in the Old Testament. If you're a non-Jewish person, you're probably scratching your head saying, uh, what law is that? <laughs> Some of these people coming from places in the world that they never heard of the law of Moses. And this is what this one group said. They said, you have to have Jesus, but you have to have all of this extra stuff on top of it. And men... This is going to affect your life, too. It's going to affect your life in a very sensitive kind of way, if you know what I'm talking about. So you men, you need to follow a particular spiritual ceremony that the Jewish people followed, and that's going to require surgery. I'm going to leave it there, okay? The men and probably the women know exactly what I'm talking about. You say, man, is that ever archaic? Like, what kind of dinosaur age are these people living in? That's crude. That's, like, harsh. I mean, what? That's put it away. It's 2,000 years ago. That's where it belongs and leave it there. I mean, who cares? Who cares about these laws of Moses, 600 and some odd laws? You have to follow these laws in order to be saved. Well, that's what they said. And they said, Paul, you're wrong. And what you're teaching is wrong and what you're selling to these people, so to speak, is Paul didn't really sell it. But what you're telling these people is wrong. They have to have all of this extra stuff, especially the men, or else they are not saved. Huge controversy that was happening that you see all over the New Testament, starting from the book of Acts. And here you have Paul. And Paul, on the other side, he says, No, not true. Put your faith in Jesus, everyone, period, and you're saved. How many of you like that side better? I like that side better, okay. Put your faith in Jesus, everyone, period, and you will be saved. You say, well, what relevance does this have to do with my own life today? Very interesting, but very harsh, very archaic. Well, same thing applies today. How can we become a Christian? How does one join the family of God? How does one become a Christ follower? How does one become born again? Whatever terms you want to use, and the New Testament uses many terms to describe this, tell me how to become a Christian. Well, on the other side, there's a group that still says and you can find this in many, the minds of many Christians and in the minds of many churches. You have to become religious. And you have to follow the Christian rules. In order to become a Christian, you must live Christianly. And when you live Christianly enough and you follow the rules, you are now a Christian. Can you name me some of those rules? that maybe you've seen, you've heard, you've thought that you have to do this in order to be a Christian, you know people who do that, just shout out some of these rules to me, these so-called Christian rules. Read your, thou shalt read thy Bible every day, or thou ain't a Christian. Don't eat pork. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a Jewish, Jewish law. Got to go to church every Sunday. If you don't go to church, you're not a Christian. Love every day? Well, that's probably a good one. I'm talking about rules that you're supposed to follow. You're, you're, all, you're, you're giving me stuff that's easy to say. I know you, more, you know more than this. Give money? If you give money, you're a, you're a Christian. Save sex for marriage? Even, even more, even more uh, legalistic than this. No dancing. There we go. You, if you dance, there's no way you can be a Christian. No TV. No entertainment. Can't dance. Can't watch Netflix. No, no music that you know with the, that makes you smile, <laughs> or that makes you dance, or makes you watch Netflix. No. No pants. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Women can't wear pants. You can't dance. You can't watch Netflix. No wearing a hat during prayer. Yeah, so you can't go to, you know, see some concert that's not Christian. You have to inundate your life with Christian things. No makeup, no jewelry, no tattoos. Don't become a communist. <laughs> Always with the politics over here. Cover your head in church. Don't come to movie theaters. We're all doomed. Don't shave your beard. Don't shave your beard. Oh boy. No piercings. Man, that's. Does that sound like that? Yeah, I'd, okay, I'll do all that. <laughs> no jeans in church. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the same idea that they had back then. It's just in a different wrapping paper today. Do all of these things, and don't do all of these other things, and you'll be a Christian. You're now part of the family of God because, you, you I mean, you got religious. And on the other side... Paul is still saying after two thousand years, put your faith in Jesus, everyone, period. He's not talking about Netflix. He's not talking about jeans or no jeans. He's not talking about tattoos or no tattoos. He's not talking about any of those things. The first thing that you need to do, according to Paul, is not following all these rules and all these religious things and all these ceremonies. What you need to do is you need to put your faith in Jesus, everyone. Whether you're Jewish or whether you're a Gentile, whatever your background, whatever your gender, doesn't matter. I don't care. You need to follow Jesus, everyone. Put your faith in Him and you become a Christian. Now, does that sound controversial to you? In what way is it controversial? You didn't think I would just let you say yes. Why is it controversial to say this? Makes it so simple. It can't be. There's no way it cannot be. Don't tell me that I just have to put my faith in Jesus. That doesn't there has to be rules that you have to follow. You have to be baptized, right? To become a Christian. Do you? Well, if you do, then what do you do with the the criminal on the cross who we talked about last weekend? He's in serious trouble. How is he going to get baptized? He's dying on a cross. Do you have to get baptized to be a Christian? No. You should be baptized if you become a Christian, but you don't get baptized to become a Christian. It's a result of you becoming a Christian. This doesn't mean you are a Christian. You could come to church every single Sunday. Does that make you a Christian? No, it makes you a faithful church attender. It may be a clue, an indication that you might be a Christian, but does it make you a Christian? Well, in terms of time, I mean, to become a Christian, it depends. You know, it may take a person a lifetime to get to a point of faith, but the point of faith can be very quick. It certainly was for the criminal on the cross. That's right. We're used to having to do something to get it. And here you have, no, there's nothing you can do to get it. Nothing. You cannot do anything in terms of rules and work and regulation to become a Christian. You have to put your faith in Jesus, everyone. Now, putting your faith in Jesus, everyone, certainly has a lot of implications. You, You don't have putting your faith in Jesus without the R word. You know what the R word is? Yeah, there has to be repentance. If you're believing in Jesus, it's implicit that you have come to a place of repentance. That means you're walking one direction. You decide to turn to change your your view, your mind towards the direction and the life that you're living, and you turn it toward Jesus, you repent and you recognize your your sin. So you, I suppose, you could say that that takes work. But there's no, it's not like you you have to go and do something to sort of um um you know prove that you've repented, and then you can be you can be a Christian when these people got baptized they made a decision of faith and then they were baptized they weren't baptized because that, that they wanted to show that they did the work required you know in when john the baptist was there his baptism was one of repentance but the baptism that we see in the new testament is a baptism of identification It means I now identify with Jesus, I have faith in Jesus, and so I will now be baptized. So you don't really have a kind of a work that you have to do in order to become a Christ follower. Going to church is great, but it doesn't make you a Christian in as much as, as one person joked, does going to McDonald's make you a hamburger? Does going to a car wash make you a car? I mean that's all it means. So it's really more about what are you what where is your faith? Wow this is really and very controversial still controversial today because we want to earn salvation. Religion will teach you that. The New Testament won't. Religion will teach you you have to do things in order to achieve salvation. The New Testament, won't. Well, it will teach you that God did something so that you could be saved. What are you going to do with what God did for you? That's, that's your question. It's not what do you do to earn it? What do you do with what God did so that you can get it? So when we look at chapter 1 of Galatians, and this is kind of the, the foundation that we're laying for fruit. You can't just jump to the fruit. There's a whole process in order that the fruit starts to come. The fruit and where to find it, you can use Galatians 1 as a foundation for this. And in Galatians 1, you see some really, really striking things. Really, there's two that come up to the surface. And this is Paul, and what Paul does immediately is to identify himself to these churches in Galatia. Paul, an apostle, he says, sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who uh, raised him from the dead And all the brothers with me, he's got people with him who he's uh, addressing this letter to, to the churches in Galatia. You're going to see that what Paul does is not only show who he is, but he actually speaks with some authority as if he is under attack as if there are people who are saying things about him in these churches in Galatia, and he's going to put a stop to it, and he's going to tell them, this is who I am, and here's how I got to be who I am. That's why he says, not by men or by a man, but by God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. There's the message that he's preaching. To rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father and to whom all be uh, be glory forever and ever. And he continues. He's going to get right in in their face. He's going to be very direct to him. You will find in reading this letter that Paul is not politically correct at all. He could care less what the people who are accusing him think of him. He could care less. He is completely direct and not politically correct at all. And yet he's going to write about the fruit of the Spirit. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Here's the occasion. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to to, to pervert the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Wow, that is, there's an old saying, them's fighting words. He's being accused here. That's the occasion. And he's going right to the point, and he's saying, this is who I am. And you folks in Galatia are believing something that's being told to you by others, and it is a false message. He's being extremely bold, extremely direct, and asserting himself in a very, very clear fashion. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Wow, that's strong. Or am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Incredible. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. Your works-driven religious views, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation. From Jesus Christ, wow, extremely unique, referring to his experience on the road to Damascus. Paul was a Christian, uh, a persecutor of Christians. He had them executed. He had them imprisoned. He chased them down. He felt that they were believing a lie. He felt that Jesus was the mastermind of deception and of lies. And Paul had this incredible 180-degree transformation while he's on the road to Damascus to obtain letters to have Christians in prison. Pow! Just an immediate, rapid transformation in his life. This is what he's referring to. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God... Here he goes again with his experience. Who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. Was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus after three years. Notice, he's going into his credentials. He's trying to show them who he was, who he is, and that this is by God, by God's grace, and not by man's choosing. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none other than of the apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The only, they only heard the following report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. End of chapter What is he doing there? He is firmly convinced that who he is is because of what Jesus has done in his life. He's being accused. He has to assert himself quite boldly. He has to uh, confront those who are teaching something contrary to what he taught those people in those churches that he planted. He's showing incredible confidence An incredible conviction. Let me ask you, if you were to ask yourself the question, Who am I? Paul had a very clear answer to that question. If you want spiritual fruit in your life, the first question you have to answer is the question about yourself. And if the answer to that question is, this person said this about me. This is the history of my life, and therefore I am this. This is how I was born. These are the circumstances of my parents and my family. This is what the high school teacher said about me. This is the abuse that I endured as a child. In fact, I endured it multiple times, and therefore this is now what I am. If you define yourself on all of that, all of those things and all of that history, all of your background and all of the good things and all of the bad things, and you say, this is who I am, that's not the answer that Paul had for himself. Paul's answer for himself had nothing to do with what people were saying about him. It had nothing to do with his past because his past was horrible. He was the man who stood there while Stephen was stoned to death. He was the man who had Christians executed and imprisoned. And he did a very, very good job of it, and he did it in the name of God. So if he goes by all of those things that he did in the past, wow, he's a really, really, he's a scoundrel. But that's not who he perceives himself to be. He says, I am an apostle who was called by God. I didn't need anybody to tell me about the message. He gave it to me straight. He revealed it to me directly. And this is who I am. And it doesn't matter to me what's being said about me. It doesn't matter what my past was. It matters who Jesus is. And it matters what Jesus did in my life. And he has a firm, firm conviction about this. And this is very, very tricky for Christians. It is very difficult for Christians to come to grips with the fact that your identity is not based on where you come from. It's not based on the color of your skin. It's not based on your gender. It's not based on how you look. It's not based on the kind of job you have or don't have. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on Jesus. This is what Paul meant when he's teaching people, put your faith in Jesus. These are people who came, some of them, out of paganism here in the churches in Galatia. There's some uh, Judaism there, but there's a lot of paganism in there. These are people who came out of all kinds of crazy stuff, at least by the standards of the Jews, and Paul's saying to them, it doesn't matter. What matters is you place your faith in Jesus, and that's who you are, and that's your identity. Children, young people taught all kinds of things about who they are. A lot of times it's based on what they look like, it's based on who their parents are, it's based on how much money there is in the family or not, it's based on where you live, it's based on the color of your skin, it's based on all these things, and the culture is screaming at young people, this is who you are, see? And here you have God saying, no, who you are is based on Christ. That's the foundation for the fruit that you need. And notice how, how uh, powerfully he defends the gospel message. He will not tolerate one single corruption of the gospel message. He calls this perversion. He says you're perverting the gospel, these people who are coming to you, who are telling you that you have to do all these extra things and telling the men that they require surgery, they are perverting the gospel message. You do not need any of this in order to be saved. Who do you need to be saved? Jesus. That's where you start. And he will not tolerate even one slice of deviation from that. He will, he will, to put it in layman's terms, he will fight to the death for the integrity of the gospel because he knew that that's what changes people's lives. And you know that it's changed your life when you, when you have a conviction about your identity. And most Christians don't. We want the fruit of the Spirit, but we're not exactly sure who we are. And you're not going to experience the fruit of the Spirit without a foundation of your identity being in Christ. That's lesson one of fantastic fruit and where to find it. That's putting a little bit of seed in the ground or maybe tilling the soil just a little bit. And as we work our way through this uh, in pieces and parts, you're going to see a whole bunch of little ingredients that ultimately lead to the fruit of the Spirit developing in your life. I'd like the musicians, if they would come, we're going to finish today and have a word of prayer with you. And um, I wonder uh, if there are those of you, and just the question, if you got nothing else from the message today, just the, just the self-narrative, uh, And the kind of interrogation of yourself. If you were to ask yourself privately, even just mentally, who am I? And you're not sure of this. You're not sure of the answer to this question. You're coming up with all kinds of things. It changes from season to season. Your identity is changing. From job to job, your identity is changing. From relationship to relationship. Your identity is changing Uh, from experience to experience. It's changing all the time. And you can't answer that question. I'd like to pray for you before we finish today. You can go ahead and start playing. It's okay. So I want you to, I want to just have a private moment with you, okay, before we finish. In my experience, and I've asked this question in many different churches that I've been able to speak in, with many different audiences, And it is not a settled question in a lot of people's minds. So uh, I'd like to just have a private moment with you. This is a small enough group that I'd like privacy with you. Because I don't want people looking around. I don't want people feeling like somebody is watching them. It's only me who sees. And of course, God. And that's the most important. So if that's you and you have a question mark, you have shaking sand. that question, who am I? Can you just slip your hand up in the air so that I can pray for you today before we finish? Even those of you who are online and who are watching, send me a private message about this. You'll find my contact info on our website, Facebook, all of that. Speak to me and communicate with me privately. I would love to pray for you. Anybody in the room today and you're honest enough to say, oh, you've really hit it on the head there. Father, I pray for each person who's in the room today, those who are watching online, those who are going to watch later, people are going to listen to uh, recordings and audio later. And uh, Lord, it's a, it's a very deep and, uh, and personal thing for us. I, I can just imagine the history, oh God, in this room and the experiences that people have had and how this question of identity is shaping their choices is shaping their decisions and uh, sometimes it leads to consequences that they didn't intend and it all boils down to that question who am i so lord i pray for 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 the uh, us in the room uh, the the online electronic audience in the name of jesus lord you would help us to not let that question go out of our spirits and out of our minds but Lord, that uh, above all things, we would get to that place of conviction that our identity is in Christ and in the gospel. Lord, uh, may it be firmly established. I pray for young people in the room, parents who are raising kids, who are trying to figure out who they are. Lord, that it would be Christ and Christ alone that would form the basis of who we are. And we pray these things together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Remember to pick up your kits over in screen number 11. Wednesday night, we're starting a new Bible study on Zoom. And we will be back at 11 on Thursday on Zoom as well for a time of prayer. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.